0: This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team.
1: Welcome, everyone. Uh, We are at our session eight or episode eight right mike um it's season one of the no stroke podcast we're moving right up there almost double
2: digits yeah and a morning recording for this
1: is an earlier for much earlier actually for us friday morning recording um we're um we have two more we're gonna hopefully we talked a little bit about in our last session to wrap up season one we might make another try to in-person podcast coming up in a couple of weeks but we got a couple more folks coming in and we're hopefully a Surprise for the last one. So, um, let's talk about this morning. Uh, we one of the reasons why we we had our uh, an early start here is is our, our guest is is uh, from your old neck of the woods, right? Across the old
2: pond, yeah. A uh, connection I made when <clears throat> I was spending some time in in Ireland. Um, you know, really interesting company that's been around for a little while in this in the digital health and wearable space. And, and fits the theme of gait and mobility that we've been focused on here in season one so excited to bring him in shortly um but before we before we get started first off did you watch any of the olympic opening ceremony this morning
1: you know uh no totally just totally spaced on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty yeah it's interesting i mean beautiful the japanese culture and everything it's it always fascinates me the place I, I want to get to tokyo for sure um but yeah they 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 did quite well with it it was an amazing it just oh. ceremony the way that they they opened things up but you could always go back that's the beauty of youtube david you know you're, yes and i'm wondering you know, if think,
1: uh, yeah yeah maybe they'll team. put it in prime time tonight we'll see we'll see uh, right. there I totally, you go thanks that, for that's the rem- more your- so. Usually, well, I know
2: because you were I'm sure you were out for a run and doing
1: you know your million <laughs> not not Tuesday. this morning. Fridays I get mine in <laughs> I get mine in Thursday night knowing that Friday it's not likely to happen early in the morning. So go uh, blame you. Got the mileage right. last night.
2: Let's get rolling. Right here, let's uh let's start with our theme. So we'll have a couple minutes until uh Shamus joins us. And um, so let's start with in the news. So Hot off the press this week, we have a few articles for you. So first headline is BMI may affect cognitive impairment after stroke. So this was a, again, just a, an article that was put out uh, by the Helio article of neurology and a scientific report. And it really just focused on the study, a study that looked at how Different BMI levels, so the body mass index, so that calculates, you know, the amount of. Really, it's a quite. It's always been back and forth, but a lot of people use it as that target indicator for mm-hmm. you, know, are you obese or not. But we'll we'll let it fly anyway. But the main thing was here: if your body weight, if you're a healthier individual, you have less instances of, of cognitive impairment. Moving on. Second one was focused on comprehensive primary care is vital to holistic care and optimal recovery after stroke. So I thought this one was interesting. It was a recommendation from the American Heart Association that's trying to put some structure into post-stroke post rehab and that connection into primary care. So trying to say that, you know, within the first 30 days, I believe, when was it? Oh. So generally, they're trying to say that your first primary care appointment should happen within one to three weeks, and that the average visit currently is within the first 45 days. <laughs> so a bit of a disconnect. Yeah. And wouldn't it be amazing if you could just meet that PT or your, your primary care physician over video?
1: <laughs> early on set the individual up for yeah. success
2: in their family for sure mm-hmm. and and lastly this was a pilot trial looking at the sensory stimulation as a treatment for improving mobility in stroke survivors so the last one I know where you're going.
1: Yeah, yeah, That's that your... goes yeah, sure thing. Mike, that goes in line with our theme you know sort of for this past month and since the start of this cast too is that yeah. you know we're we're doing a lot around trying to improve access and resources and awareness around improving balance and mobility. And that study was really interesting. It's only a feasibility study and that was in the UK, so there was uh mm-hmm. looking at my notes 30 34 individuals, but it was over between 6 and 16 weeks they either They either had uh, external stimulation from mobilization, you know, more hands-on pre-gait treatment from the therapy team, which, you know, uh, one of the limiting factors for that is therapists are, you know, one of the things that they're often overburdened with, you know, wearing out their hands. So I think they like the other one is using technology and maybe uh, the other half of the group was uh, they had uh, uh, textured insoles. And Um, What I was looking for in that study um, was um, some of the gate analytics and and if there was a difference, but with it being a feasibility study, I think they were looking at tolerance and and, in both groups tolerated and sets the stage for uh, further study and i think with wearable fabrics and other things that are coming and really make an improvement on, along that line um, i think you'll you'll see the ability to see more of this um, but it um it kind of paves the path to to invite our guest in because um maybe measuring some of these changes uh, um or you know is, is 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 one of the things that um uh, our guest uh can you know talked about, more about his product and his team so why don't we uh why don't we you know make the introduction Mike you you've uh you've yeah made, I think you know we individual we've, quite well
2: yeah I'm Shimstein so we, yeah again kind of he's a friend of mine that I, I was able to connect with and um, during my time in Dublin um he is currently still there runs a company Kinesis Health Technologies and you know we've we've had a few conversations you know over over the years looking at how his tool can assess and support stroke survivors in the home so without further ado we'll uh, bring shamus in and i'm sure he will give a much better introduction (laughs) audio video connecting it's a long way over the sea yeah James, good morning. Good afternoon, should I say.
1: Good morning and good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Seamus. Hi, there. Hi, there.
2: How are we? Well, apologies for, uh, I know it's been a, a few back and forths to get this happening, but I'm, my brain is still trying to figure out this, the time zone differences now that I'm back home. It's, it's been an adjustment for me, so thanks for the patience.
0: No problem at all. Yeah. How are you doing
2: today? A, we're good. We're good. We're just chatting about David missed the Olympic the opening of the Olympic Games this morning. Uh, did you catch a glimpse of it?
0: I didn't actually. It's it's completely gone over my head. Uh, I yeah. think the the Olympic Games maybe is it's not that it's a non-event this year, but it certainly doesn't have the profile it may well have had in years gone by.
2: No, they had. Yeah, I, I think Ireland were the third team out the gate of the countries you know, represent when when they started the the. Team, uh, you know, all the teams the kind of walking out meeting. together. But yeah, it was uh say I think they had was it your is it McElroy, the, the golfer? Or yeah yeah, one of, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the I think he's the captain of, of the Irish squad this year. Oh, was
0: so. he the flag bearer? Was he?
2: Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Like, is he from is he from the north? Is he from Northern Ireland though? Yeah. He is, yeah. 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 Um, that's a that's a difference then, right?
0: Well, <laughs> it- as am I. So, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. you know, right. we won't get into <laughs> a political debate, now, but, uh, yeah, no, he, you have the opportunity to, to pick Ireland or, or, or GB. Sorry.
2: Nice. Nice. I know that. Well, yeah. Best of luck to, to Ireland. Dennis. Likewise. Yeah. In the US. I'm sure you, yeah. you guys will do well. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, here, yeah, we've, uh, we started the conversation this morning. We always pick a few topics that are hot off the press in the news relating to stroke recovery. Um, you know, over the last few weeks, we've seen so much money being pumped in, in, in and a lot of the funding is, you know, kind of the acute stage. So beforehand, looking at, you know, whether it's thrombectomy or, you know, AI techniques to kind of evaluate P, um, CT scans. But this morning, there was a study looking at, sensor or wearable sensors in in the home to monitor gait and, and of it was a primary or early study so it wasn't really in the feasibility stages but um it kind of teed up very well to you know what you guys have been doing for so long and you know where you're where you're pushing to into the mm-hmm. market so I gave a bit of a background into yourself and how we've connected over the years um, and kinesis in general but I'd love to open the floor and kind of, you know, have you give your give the audience your background and, you know, what what made you get into your startup, Kinesis Health?
0: Sure, thanks. So, uh, so I, uh, Seamus, uh, the CEO of Kinesis Health Technologies, i presume you have uh, outlined that. So, and Kinesis is the Greek word for motion and movement. So when we were setting up the company, we wanted something which represents what we do is measuring motion and movement, applying it to health. And obviously, with the technology aspect, so that's why we went for uh, Kinesis Health Technologies. Prior to setting up the company, I was involved in leading the uh, the research in terms of managing the research program, which was the foundation of the work we've been doing in terms of commercializing. Which is a large uh, industry-academic research center based in Dublin, Ireland, including University College Dublin, Trinity College Dublin, uh, St James's Hospital, and Intel. So the background for me was I, I did work in Intel for a number of years in computer science and interest in technology, obviously. And then the <laughs> convergence convergence of technology into the healthcare space, which you know, some 14, 15 years later is still only breaking through, uh, was seen as an exciting opportunity that, you know, at some point the kind of the dam is going to break and technology will be seen as an enabler and a facilitator in healthcare, uh, as it is in many other different segments and sectors, uh, which is still going on. There you was know, a lot of work being done in EMRs and EHRs and, in terms of digitizing health records, but really fully adopting uh, technology, it's it's somewhat more of a, of a slow, slow and steady pace. So really, my background is in, in computing, uh, looking at aging and aging, uh, the challenges with aging, uh, the, the core focus for Kinesis and the mission we have is around uh, falls prevention and that's something which is a core element of what we did in the fundamental research program which was TRIL or Technology Research for Independent Living uh, and falls prevention as that you know geriatric giant is a major issue that still needs to be uh, properly tackled and what we do is providing uh, solutions, digital health solutions to engage, empower and motivate older adults to take action on falls. So really it's about providing the healthcare uh, professionals, the healthcare system, but most importantly, patients with more information about their status uh, and also what they can do to take action to prevent that. Because quite early on, we, we realized that the most important stakeholder in effecting change is the patient. And we were always trying to serve the health system and the healthcare professional, giving them the information and, and the data that we think that they need. And they do need, but not sure they fully appreciate it, But patients do. So patients do fully appreciate data, uh, biofeedback, information on how they're doing. So a kind of a circuitous route to introduce uh, yeah. NASIS, but you know that's kind of uh, background for me.
2: It's an interesting, thanks for that. That's an interesting point. Of like, and, and when did that shift happen that you realized, like, well, maybe the the word that's always floats out there, the empowered patient, right? So, when did you kind of start seeing that? Was it through user research or what made that trend happen? Yeah,
0: it was, um, you know, we were doing some parallel research projects in UCD, University College Dublin, and uh, the whole topic of health literacy. Uh, came up and, you know, really to fully affect change and to fully deliver uh, on behaviour change, you know, we need to improve health literacy. We need to, you know, improve the understanding of health issues and conditions for patients for them to take action. Because, you know, I know, David, with no disrespect, you know, healthcare professionals, you know, have a very important role in improving health, but they're not, the you know sole contributor and, and patient, as you well know, and and I, I'm sure our champion champion of, have to engage and have to take ownership for the most part. They know their health uh, often more than the most, and they know when something's going wrong. They know when something's changing. Um, and we started by you know even in our product, our first product, we we were developing the reports coming from the solution, targeted at the healthcare professional. I never thought that you know, the older adult will be getting a false risk report, you know, because we wouldn't want to, you know, scare them. We wouldn't want them to become alarmed if they're at high risk. So we always would have been focusing on, okay, let's send the data and provide the the results to the healthcare professional. And then they can talk to the older adult about their status. But quite quickly, we understood from know usage patterns is that, you know, the older adult is walking away with the report. Or they want to know what's in the report and want to understand more. So we we kind of changed the kind of flow and the, the design to be making more legible to a broader audience. Um and I guess that's where it kicked in for, for us is that you know when you know when you're starting out as a as a young company trying to break into the healthcare market, you become somewhat subservient to the health system and the healthcare professionals. Well, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And, and sometimes they don't know. Uh but in reality we 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 should be in a position to call out where there's some weaknesses in the health system and say, actually, you're not communicating well enough with your patients. You're not giving them the information that they need. Uh, and we can help you with that, but you can't just say, you know, we, we'll keep doing what we're doing. So that's kind of, you know, it wasn't a, a light bulb moment uh, by any means, just a, a series of experiences that we had to, to really, you know, make me aware and, and us aware that unless you're engaging. Patients, you know, you're really not going to have the same impact that you could have. Um, so that's.
1: It. Yeah, that that's really a powerful point there, Seamus, and I, you know, kudos to your your team for um, providing more information to the patient because that's one. One barrier to care now as a clinician is, you know, back to the patient, a lot of the data that we're putting into our EMRs, um, doesn't really empower the patient. So that data and that was analytics and I'm more sensitive to that than ever now over the past 18 plus months that I'm doing entirely telehealth and continue to support my, my clinical, um, side of my, of, of my practice, um, through you know this face-to-face time and the and the data and using technology becomes ever so important on the telehealth side for the patient to be able to have those subtle changes. So I'm really interested in you telling us more about that. The the patient assessment tools that your tech your your companies offer too, because I was really interested. it's This is the time for those tools to really get into the hands of 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 the 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 folks that can benefit the most from them
0: yeah yeah and and and, you know i think as patients you know we're we've all been patients in some respect and and sometimes you feel like you know you could be seeing that you're just serving the health system providing them data for what end what result so it needs to be a bit more of a you know a bi-direction, a bit more of a conversation you know it has to be flowing both ways versus you know collecting data collecting data collecting data it was all up to, into the mainframe and you have very little knowledge of what's going on. Uh, I think that is changing. Uh, that is certainly changing and certainly, you know, we're not necessarily pioneers in that, you know, most health technology companies or, uh, technology companies in health are, are looking at that. And how do we, you know, buy more back to the patient and, and re- wrestle control back from the health systems, the hospitals, that you don't know, like to be the uh, controller and, and arbiter of, of a lot of this data and i know the certain uh, activities in the uk actually is a uh, patients know best uh, is a um, an initiative where uh if health systems sign up that they can actually share their data that they're collecting on patients uh, with those patients who sign up and register that they uh, have access to that data now it's a slow but a, a slow burden but it, it is starting to gain traction and it makes sense like well who owns the data that is being collected? You know who controls it. Uh, you know it's it's not most not necessarily a legal argument, more philosophical. Is like okay, well, everyone. Maybe we can share the data. You know people need access for different reasons, but at least patients need access as well, and that's something which we're, we're looking at. But even just the simple thing is that, <clears throat> from my own perspective, I had some lower back issues a few years ago when I went to. Um, to see a neurosurgeon and uh to, to get some treatment and interventions. And and you know, they were just basically getting me to walk around their office and watching me and and I'm like, uh, oh yeah, no, I see something, or you know, I'll note that down. And, and <clears> then <throat> you go in a few weeks later. And there's no context for me as a patient, completely blind to what they're seeing, if anything, mm-hmm. uh, in that because it's not measured objectively, it's just an observation. And similarly, like, you know, going to physical therapist and you're, you're getting them, or they get you to do exercises in front of the mirror to show you where you're going wrong. And, and actually I can't see it, you know, there's, do you see the movement in your knee? I'm like, no, I don't see it. But even if they were to give me a little bit of data to say actually, you know, small, cause most of these, most of the, the impairments that maybe are only slight mm-hmm. and very, you know to the untrained naked eye, you're not going to see it. So having some data and even if it's only a 5% change it could be a significant 5% change. So that's why we're trying to do our solutions that providing more context and more biofeedback to patients uh, either in clinic or at home for them to have uh, a better understanding of their own health. Um, not only just to give them that understanding, but to encourage them to do the things that they should be doing. For example, to prevent a fall. So uh, just telling somebody you're... 78 years of age you're at high risk of falls you can brand them tag them as that but that's not good enough you know there is people who are possibly high high risk there's people at medium high risk and people at low high risk and you know and, and people at the very high can come down and and what we do is we provide a a specific score uh for an individual from zero to 100 so it's a, a percentile probability that they're a faller from zero to 100 but People can improve and and see a reduction. Now they still may be high risk, but they could come from a ninety five percent down to a seventy five percent, which is progress. And whereas you know we're saying where you're not at high risk, we want to make you not at risk at all. They say, well, you know, is that feasible? Is it reasonable? But we can still improve their status. So that's what we're trying to do is with um, with information through our solutions, providing more context uh, and hopefully. A greater motivation to engage in the you know the, the treatments that we know work uh, to prevent falls
2: um mm. fascinating thanks thank you for kind of you know taking that deep dive and i'd be curious you know just for our audience who are sitting at home i had the, the fortunate opportunity to be able to see this in action right see how how the tools work but can you maybe just describe quickly you know if i was a stroke if, you know, stroke survivor sitting at home or a caregiver listening who has a, a parent or a loved one who's you know, suffered stroke and at risk, you know, how, how could your technology help them? And, and what would that look like? What what kind of data would they be looking at?
0: So we, we have two solutions or two sets of solutions. One, which is for professional use uh, for supervised assessment of gait and uh, function uh, based on the time, up and go test that uses external sensors that go on the left and right leg of the patient for that supervised assessment. So that would be administered by somebody who's assessing uh, a patient uh, either at home uh, through a visit or in the community or in clinic. And that's, that's done on a regular basis. So it's a standard functional test, instrumented with sensors, and then our software runs analysis and gives them a report. So for example, um, it'll give them their full score, it will also then break down what category they're in, low, medium, and high risk, and then break it down even further to say, well, what are the five maneuvers of the tub test or the timed up and go test, which is driving that risk? Is it an issue with transfers, which is standing up or sitting down? Is it an issue with speed or how they're walking? Is it an issue with variability or uh, steady gait or non-steady gait? Is it an issue with symmetry? Is there a problem with left leg versus right leg, which is obviously quite important from a stroke perspective, uh, do they have problems turning? Uh, is there any vestibular issues in the turn? So all of those different elements are analyzed independently. Uh, and then the you know, kind of the derived parameters in terms of their gate velocity, the stride length, their cadence there. So the um, the uh, gate variability, all of the various different components are, are there. Not necessarily for the patient to be absorbing, but to get some context. So, for each of those scores is a population average. So, and everything is color coded. So, green is normal, uh, orange is outside the normal range, and red would be you know, a warning zone. Something should be looked at. So, it's providing context to the, to the healthcare professional, but also the patient. And then the, the second self assessment solutions we have is based on the smartphone. So, using the sensors on the phone. To instrument functional tests, which is still a directed routine, it's not constant wearable where it's just listening and capturing data on their movement throughout the day. It's getting them to do a directed routine, uh, starting with the standing balance test, which is thirty seconds, eyes open, semi tandem balance test. Adding adding in uh, the five times sit to stand or sit to stand test as well, as well as uh, directed gait routine uh, using the phone. So. And in this instance, it's maybe slightly less precise than the professional version, but based off one sensor versus instrumenting uh, both the uh, limbs uh, in the professional system. But it's it's more than good enough to give them context, to give them biofeedback uh, for, for themselves on a regular basis. So if they if the uh, stroke survivor who's you know, post formal rehab is at home, and um, you know not getting the the attention or not getting the long-term support that they could be offering it's just basically picking up their phone doing a standing balance test looking at the guidance that uh is there for them to kind of improve their stability improve uh, give them a specific balance score as well so with that in mind it's about you know how can you you know look at the community and you'll know, even talk not with your healthcare professional about that but with your peers so, um, my, my father unfortunately had a stroke, uh, five years ago and was quite a severe stroke and, uh, has, you know, has reasonable recovery, you know, it was pretty good function. Uh, it's not, not allowed to drive anymore is, peripheral vision. And I said, it isn't as good, but in terms of, uh, overall function and ability, he he's doing pretty well, but you know, they, they have this, um, which used to be a, a formal. Uh, meeting up of, of the stroke survivors in, in the area, just to meet for a cup of coffee on a Wednesday morning every week, when just chat and talk. And, and for him, the greatest, uh, I guess, support he was getting was from, from other stroke survivors uh, talking about their experiences. Mm-hmm. And the hospital even asked him to come down to talk to the uh, healthcare teams, clinicians, because they were saying like we have never went through a stroke. We don't know what it's, what it's like as a patient uh, to go through that. So solutions like you know balances where you know even sharing your score. How, how's your balance? And you know just as a top just something to say. Because we talk about how are you feeling today? Well, I'm good. You know, the weather's good, so I'm good. Or you know I had a nice dinner, so I'm good. Or what's making you not so good? And even talking about well maybe my my function that uh, you know it's good or it's great or so just having context in terms of other parts of your life in terms of your activity in terms of your diet in terms of your mood you know anything which we can kind of track on an ongoing basis you know may allow us to kind of park maybe a bad mood or how we're feeling versus you know having it linger on and on
2: it's interesting so you do that was, that was something i was going to touch on is kind of how you that that correlation between all right, I'm, I'm improving my balance. I'm less at risk for a fall, and how that comes back into you know cognitive kind of function and you know your your overall mood and happiness, I suppose, as a as a stroke survivor or someone going through rehab. So, is that something you're currently tracking alongside yeah, no, we, of the balance? Yeah?
0: So, the the area of cognitive function, linking obviously to motor function, is you know it's, it's, it's a well it's a well. Uh, it's well understood that they're connected. Yeah. Um so looking at measuring function uh in a professional setting, but then measuring function uh through personal self-assessment is very mm. important. Um so even for for healthy uh younger adults, measuring you know balance is important. So balance isn't just an issue for an older adult or somebody who's got an underlying health issue. know so there could be other things going on. Um so, and balance is only one example, you know, the, the overall endurance, fatigue, you know, sit to stand, or getting it to do you know, uh, more, uh, more uh, cumbersome tests, just, you know, are they able to to, uh, to complete it better? Um, so just providing them some context for them to really just have a better sense. And it's not for everybody. You know, we, we all know that there's a certain cohort there. Well, no, I'll never assess I don't want to know. Uh, and it's not that they're wrong. It's just that, they're not motivated or driven by that, but there is a large proportion and, and growing who do want to measure, who do want to. You so know, even I've a, a new phone there, and there's a nice little uh, thing uh, which counts your activity, integrity you you a number of steps per day, and it's not that precise, it's not that really important, but it gives me a general sense of how my day has been, how active have I been. I'm not taking it, uh, you know, as gospel though that. I haven't done enough today, let me go out and get another 3,000 steps, but it gives you an indication, and it actually does motivate you to do a little bit more. What we're trying to do is that for those who are post-formal rehab, who are left in that kind of vacuum where they're not getting anything, how can we, you know, continue to encourage them to do the behaviours or the exercises which have been outlined by the formal therapy teams, so... How can we do that? Well, we can give them some guidance in terms of how the function is. And it starts high and then it starts to go down again and functions uh, decreasing and risk is increasing. Well, they maybe need to start to do more in terms of their uh, exercise program, which they were doing a lot post rehab uh, or in rehab, but in doing less so now. There's about kind of prompts that hopefully will allow them to continue to, you know, Continue with the behaviour change. Continue with the good practices which have been outlined, uh, and even strive beyond that because maybe it was it was the the program is is now too easy. And they feel like it, you know maybe they can do other things. So these are sort of things with you know with this information that their function and balance is good and and uh, like, you know, the, the exercise programs are, are are so simple and straightforward they can move up a level. So it's just an example of how we can continue the conversation and support for that group beyond uh, the form, of, which I think <clears throat> is a big issue is that, you know, stroke uh, survivors stroke patients is that, you know, there's a lot of attention, get a lot of focus, get a lot of support, you know, critically uh, challenging healthcare condition. And then after that six rate eight post discharge, or maybe even earlier than that, you know, they're left with support groups. Which are really important. I don't under under uh underplay the, the importance, but actually probably more important than maybe having a conversation with the with a neurologist, because you know, it's unlikely they're going to do another brain scan, but talking to somebody else about what their progress has been like and or their family members. So not to you know to say that's not important, but to have some sort of a, you know, middle ground where there's some formal analysis or even if the data is going back to the know the health system or the hospital or the, the care team which is managed their formal care, but they're using that data themselves on an everyday basis. Maybe they they go back in and the six month review, they'll say, Oh guys, you no, know, you're doing really well and let's keep it going and encouraging them versus with no data points on you from when we discharged you to your city in front of me six months later.
1: Yeah that that's uh really interesting uh, around the idea of um you mentioned there's, there's this group that might not want to know about. This is almost like this denial part in some cases. And Mike and I talked on a previous episode about this, that, you know, sometimes the individuals will, will not share to their family that they're afraid of falling because they're afraid of losing independence. And if it, you know, if you get through that behavior change part that comes into it. And if you can initially create that awareness, there's the opportunity to then to have these additional touch points to move them along so that they are knowing that just because their score may be be off and they may be a high risk doesn't mean that that's it. They know this now is the time that perhaps they can do something about it. And with that said, is... Within the app and within your technology, is there a way for them to share that with, uh, with an individual who may be remotely connected? Like I mentioned, some therapists continue to do um, therapy remotely and support now that telehealth has sort of uh, gotten some, some traction and has maintained its drop back a bit. But is there an opportunity to share those maybe daily assessments or weekly assessments as part of their camp plan for remote therapy? Yeah, no, it hasn't been fully implemented, but that's very
0: much part of the plan is that, you know, the data is predominantly controlled and owned by the the individual completing it. And then they can kind of opt in or decide to share um, because they may have somebody or they may not have. So the the problem is the challenge is if the if the reason why they're getting it or being deployed is through the health system, they may see that the data for the health system. However, if it's a a combination of, okay, well, this is an offer for you if you want to use it, you know, we can help. It'll help you kind of get more information where you are and it'll also provide us with more information so the next visit will come in. So I think it's about that, uh, I guess, the contract you have with your your formal care team or maybe uh, less formal, but your care team, uh, who who you want to access or who is your support? Is it the, the... therapist is it a care is it a neurologist is it a family doctor or gp and um, you know is it your um you know your pharmacist you know the, the care teams that we have around us is so uh broad and and often very different um and that's something which we are really just exploring in terms of the use case of that we want to get the fundamentals of the assessment right uh, which is working hard on but then it's about the integration and the use case well describing the recruitment who's encouraging usage who's then going to respond to data coming in and who needs needs and who should so they're the sort of business rules and and uh, yeah. technology rules which we're just at the moment but you know it, it's very clear that data for the individual is important but sharing it is uh very important as well because as i mentioned before you know in to see your a specialist in a few months time and if they have no data on you so maybe getting you to do assessments you've done you know, 20 times in the last uh, three or four months and you're like okay well, can you just look at the data you know you're going to observe me doing something i do every day and measure you just look at my data and that's the sort of thing is that and i know and i can understand healthcare professionals pushing back on you know patient generated data as well because you know the um, the credibility and reliability of some of the data is, is questionable, I'll be, well, let's be clear, it is. but um, I think they shouldn't dismiss uh, too quickly uh, because if it is engaging the patient, that's the important thing.
2: 100% and so if there are you know folks listening who are interested and say, you know, this is something that I want to bring in for either myself or a loved one. What's the route like you know we talked about you know care teams being empowered so kind of two different sides of the house either you could have a clinical assessment you know which would you know sit with their PTOT. but let, let's maybe focus on the you know phone assessment you know so is that something that's downloadable just for anyone in the in the app or in the the app store to just start using today or how, yeah how would absolutely that work for someone
0: Yeah, no, so you can go on to Google Play. Unfortunately, there's only an Android version available. Uh, iOS is coming soon. So for all those iOS uh, users, uh, our apologies. But yeah, on Google Play, uh, if you do search for Kinesis Balance Free, you'll see that version, which is free. Uh, You download it and it's kind of uh, our first MVP in the space for people to use. Um, So we don't collect any uh, personal information, it just gives them, uh, balance assessment, they can check your balance and give some guidance and calls. Um, but for us, really, we're we're looking at it as a kind of a standard basic offer out to the community, but we're looking to then build enterprise versions of that, which inevitably will, and one of the challenges with digital health solutions is that the trusted source. Um, mm. So we're not necessarily looking to drive this in a B2C or direct to patient uh, model, it's, it's coming through Health systems or health payers for them to say that you know, offer it to their patients or members, uh, respectively. Say, listen, Um, if you want to assess your function in the home, here's a a pull up we can recommend or provide to you. So that that enterprise version will have uh, a lot more tailored information uh, for your local locality in terms of, well, if you're part of a health plan, uh, these are the services available for you, or if you're Part of a health, or you're being cared for by a health system. Here's your support services, etc. So that's the plan longer term. Uh, but at the moment, you can go to Google Play, uh, Kinesis Balance Free, uh, download it, and uh, start testing your balance.
1: Amazing! Sounds cool. great. well be sure to put that link in the show notes too, as well, so our followers can can uh, take action on that. Absolutely. So. Maybe we'll, we'll wrap things up. And we always,
2: all of our guests are asked a similar question when we, when we finish up and it's kind of taking a look at the future, right? So if we were to place a magic wand in your hand and you spoke of your personal experience with, you know, dealing with back pain and in in an office where you didn't really have that high touch experience that that you were seeking and obviously your father going through a, a, a stroke and having that, that experience. So Let's think you know five ten years down the road you know what what's that optimal recovery and and rehab journey look like for either a stroke or, or kind of tied into this digital t- health space
0: yeah well certainly I would see um it's a good question uh optimal would be uh certainly something which is um a, a little bit more um a little bit more uh Towards, uh not a little less temporary, let's put it like that. So um, and it's it's looking at the the physical recovery and rehab, but also the emotional psychological uh, recovery and rehab because um you know there's obviously how some has come through the physical changes, the physical damage has been done by the stroke is um it's not easy to repair that and it's not easy to intervene and repair that quickly. But there is a lot of clinical care provided up front, and then there's a lot of physical care provided in that next period, and then there's little care provided then beyond. So for me, what I would like to see is that the, you know, the good practice that we want patients to implement to keep going after rehab, I think the health system providers can do that as well. They say, listen, you know, how can you not stretch out, but how can you – prolong the care and support and guidance and advice for uh, stroke survivors, and also empowering those uh, support groups, um, which which really were critical. Uh, I know with my father, um, he declined to go to them for so long because he didn't want to be seen as, you know, we all made for in a, a local coffee shop, and he was like, oh, well, no, I don't want to be seen. And with the, the stroke group, and then, so decline decline, and it's not that he was you know, progressive uh, to to them, but it's just that just didn't want to be. But from the day and hour he he went, he just was like, you know, it, it provided so much to him. So, you know, combining the formal and informal care and support groups um, for me and prolonging and uh, the the support that's been offered would be, you know, really what I think should be uh, looked into. But you no. Know, uh, I don't have that magic one. it will take a lot more hard work from, from you two guys and, and from me and, and everyone else involved to kind of make that happen.
2: Yeah. anything, David? No, to wrap just, up? J- okay.
1: just, just well said, um, you know, and that, that, that's a big part of healing what you just mentioned that point with your dad that, um, is is really missing from at least especially on the stroke side having access to those groups to um to help as part of the healing is initially that denial and not wanting to be identified as having something wrong yeah. um, but like you what you observed had once your dad went and opened up a bit um, so I think that's a great way to end because that's part of, part of the mission and one of the things we're trying to accomplish that enable us is we want to provide the, the right physical support groups. We want to whether it be physical or virtual in these days, but um, having the right tech tools at the right time, but having the community to support and connect care. So yeah. thank you so much for your time and 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 working us into the middle of your day early for us here, but. Um, I, I really appreciate. It. It's nice to meet you again, and and I, I I thank you, and we'll certainly share all the good work you guys are doing with our group as well. So, yeah, for definitely, that's all for me, Mike.
2: Yeah, well, brilliant, and yeah, it's just to kind of touch on on your point, Shin, is, you know that a common theme we've seen over these past you know podcasts that we've run, whether it's with folks like yourself who are you know in the space as a as a provider, or, you know technology company or survivors it's the common theme of connection after stroke right and we made a point last week of you know when you start a new job you're put with a senior someone in a senior position who you you know come in and you learn from right and it's the same thing as a as a stroke survivor you know how can you as a stroke survivor be matched with someone similar background similar you know demographics that you could really take on a journey with you and learn from so it's a it, it makes a lot of sense and unfortunately it's not the way the system is set up at the moment and there's also a lot of barriers because you know my mother when she had her stroke as well I mean granted she was 28 but she was put in a room with people who are 70 you know and she was like get yeah, me the hell out of here yeah which you know you you, you realize mm-hmm. but if we could be smart about it and say all right let's put people with like you know, likenesses together and hopefully it'll what we what we call our community is a a, a team of stroke thrivers, not not survivors, thrivers. Yeah, let's let's try to create some more of those. Well thanks for your time, Famous. And and I know you're you're suffering a heat wave over in Ireland. It's about what is it? Thirty yeah, degrees. Like so. We're
0: breaking records every day. It's it's crazy <laughs> hot here. So I'm uh, I'm pr- perspiring at the moment <laughs> with the, the window open. It's very hot, but uh, yeah, it's not the it's not the the spotlight you guys normally. It's just the heat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <man. laughs>
2: well, I appreciate the time. Go take a jump in the Irish Sea. Yeah, right, should, catch a cool breeze. Well. Thanks Gotta again. Temperature on. <laughs> okay, right, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke recovery in the brain with tips, technology, and interesting Stroke Thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.